Welcome to Hard Mode. This startup caper is hard work. The startup founder reality is problem solving at its most extreme. A series of U-turns, struggles, setbacks, and adjustments on the path to creating tech-enabled businesses that customers and users love. Join us on this storytelling series with a roll call of technology company founders, investors, operators, and outliers as they share anecdotes of the journey towards sustainable growth. Hosted and curated by the team at Tractor Ventures. Welcome to Hard Mode. Hard Mode. Hard Mode. This episode of the Hard Mode podcast features the founder of Amplified Intelligence, Professor Karen Nelson-Field. Amplified Intelligence are a South Australian-based company who are specialists in attention measurement, leading the global attention economy. Their proprietary technology is incredibly accurate as they deliver clients the insights and tools to ensure that advertising dollars are delivering impactful bottom line results and answer questions that have never been answered before. Karen is also the author of well-renowned books, The Attention Economy and Viral Marketing, The Science of Sharing. So let's dive into the chat hosted by myself, Gary Williams, leading community engagement at Tractor Ventures. Enjoy. Well, Karen, um, absolute pleasure to have you here for Hard Mode. Um, I'm so excited for this conversation, so welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, how's everything going in your world? I would love to hear a bit of an overview around um, uh, Amplified Intelligence and what you're building, which is, may I say, mind-blowing. So let's start with, um, tell us about yourself and uh, and, uh, let's segue into Amplified Intelligence from there. Sure. So... um... I'm an accidental entrepreneur, <laughs> so um, I am essentially an academic um, that, uh, you know, my focus was on audience measurement, got frustrated with the university system and left and decided that there was a gap in market for audience measurement products. Yep. So me as a human, um, as I said, I'm accidental, I'm a bit older than the average entrepreneur, um, but super excited to be able to sort of fill a fill a gap in a market we know um is there and um yeah so I guess that that's me and don't do much else than work but <laughs> boring <laughs> so what's um before we go into amplified intelligence what's the uh, academic background that you're referring to which insta- um uh sorry universities have you been associated with yeah so i did three degrees three of them at um university of south australia so my Last one was a PhD in media science specialising in audience measurement. Now, what that actually means is that um, I sort of looked at how audiences behave and the ability for the behaviour of these audiences to be traded upon, which is kind of relevant to what we're going to get into. Um, But I stayed, I I, I only did a PhD because, you know, I had young children, super young and know normal nine to five well actually it's more eight to six hours was too difficult so I did my PhD to keep myself busy Mm. um but I found that um I really loved the the research game and um you know I was right at the time when Facebook was fairly fresh um and only a couple of years before it IPO'd so in those days there were very few socials and the whole digital space was exploding and I was pretty much one of the first academics to go, actually, how does this whole concept of engagement work? You know, they're selling the notions that likes render return. Is that true? Um, so I went off on this path um, 
after I'd finished my PhD to sort of disentangle some of the algorithms that they'd had and sort of make some noise about potential, let's just say, overstating of value, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which kind of fast-tracked me through the academic system, essentially got to me to professor pretty fast. And, you know, I'd written a lot of papers along the way. But what I really recognised during that sort of 11 years at UniSA was that, um, you know, there was a massive you know, gap in the market around being able to sort of navigate all of these new media types and that, you know, advertisers were essentially, um, I guess, I I don't like to say being misled because that indicates, you know, malice. It's it's more that, Mm -hmm. you know, we were being led down a path in terms of what these things can achieve and and they were far from the truth. So so that's my academic background. And then now I'm adjunct only, but I'm an adjunct at um, Adelaide University and just sort of plotter around and do some, you know, PhD um, supervision. That's about it. That's my only involvement in the uni now. Yeah. Okay. Look, there's lots of points to uh, cover in the chat and um, I'm especially interested to hear your perspective on, um, I, I guess, the potential for research commercialization long, long mentioned in, um, in uh, I guess, reports on the needs of growing ecosystems is a, an increased um, emphasis on research commercialization, but um, good in theory, uh, hard in practice, I guess, <laughs> might be one such um, perspective on it. But I would love to hear, let's have the top line overview of amplified intelligence and um, how large is the team and, and where are you at in your sort of uh, business journey at, uh, as we speak? So we are an attention measurement business um, and we started out as an attention measurement research business where we had to build quite deep technology around um, essentially gaze tracking. So we have the ability to be able to sort of connect to your viewing of Facebook, Insta, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, and we also have television models. But basically what we do is we film panels essentially using those particular formats um, mm-hmm. and we also collect sort of device data like how fast you're scrolling, whether you're wearing earphones or not, things like that, and then we translate that data back into attention uh, measurement. And then, yep. and then more recently um, I went, I actually, I actually decided to make a pivot. So we'd collected data in six countries. It's soon to be nine and what I kind of became aware of was that it's time to activate products in this space so rather than just be someone that offers findings, uh, but someone that can actually, you know, implement the data and, and build out SaaS platforms to sort of get this data into systems because there was a real market need. So so we're attention measurement in its core. Um, the size of the team is only 20 we punch above our weight, um, yep. but soon to expand quite considerably. So we're in an extreme state of growth because the, we're quite fortunate in that the category that we're in is is literally fresh. So, you know, mm. we're an emerging category and, and in large part to do with the years of my research. So I'm kind of in a very interesting position where I'm, you know, driving this category, but also fulfilling it with with product. So it, I'm quite fortunate in that way. So the team's small, um, mostly developers, and then the rest of us 
you know, are the least <laughs> yeah. skilled <laughs> on the other on the other end of the table. <laughs> <laughs> I, I um, we're going to touch upon this category aspect that you just mentioned because I've got a particular question relating to this. Um, what does your day to day look like as a leader of this group, um, and particularly with your academic background? Yeah, so we have some principles that we adhere to. So this is in response to the academic background. I mean, having having trained in, I guess, methodology, you know, so, so rigour is a big part of our life. So our principles are rigour, agility, warmth, which is raw. So, okay. so oh, for, yeah, me, for me, translating, you know, so for me what was really important that I, I didn't just build something that caused another problem of the industry because we actually are really critically trying to solve a problem which is there's no transparency in our industry and so Mm -hmm. for me to be able to kind of step in and say look here's an alternative measurement there needs to be significant rigor behind it so in terms of what we do as a business um, rigor is a big part of that so we've translated so everything we do is you know absolutely without a doubt researched developed research developed again tested in multiple countries and then applied um so that's the translation from my academic background um and we get we get credit for that so you know people trust us which is important because we're not just you know in my industry i mean essentially i'm in the advertising game right so and there's a lot of people out there that's a lot of spin putting it nicely so for us it's really important that we we portray that and we 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 demonstrate that in everything we do what's a typical day look like um for me, um, my we actually don't have any Adelaide customers at all. Okay. <laughs> um, we have very few Australian customers. The majority of our world is the UK and the US and some in Europe. So when we launched, for example, when we launched our planner, our SAS tool in late November, we ended up in 23 countries. So my day <laughs> starts at 6.30 when I'm on the calls with all of the US um uh, customers um, mm-hmm. and finishes often 10, 10 30 at night when I sort of go to bed after the Europeans have have woken up. So it's a pretty it's a pretty crazy time for us at the moment because as I said we the attention economy is is exploding and we're right yeah. at the center of it. Yeah and um look uh, the podcast is called hard mode. Um you know, it's a, a vague in its iteration in, in some ways, and obviously it apply. It means uh, a different thing to different people. Uh, some some people in the tractor portfolio who were interviewing um, refer to it as you know their their state of mind when they're on the tool, so to speak. And for others, it's a different perspective. Um, I, I am reminded that w- as we've gotten to know each other, um, but then I've seen your day to day from previous, as in pre COVID. A lot of your time was spent on stages um, yes. and 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 appearing before lots and lots of people and you know blow, blowing their minds <laughs> basically from what I can ascertain from the content you've been putting out there and and presenting your um your research findings in this commercial application in a very clear and structured manner. So how are you finding personally the adjustment to this? you know, virtual only realm considering you've got no customers in Adelaide? Um, so may I say there's two things here. Um, I say to anyone who's listening, you know, if you can become a thought leader in your space, it accelerates your entry, right? So yes. to your point, 
you know, for more than 12 years, I was sort of on stages, but particularly in the last, before COVID, every six weeks I was overseas, which, you know, it's hard on the family and it's hard on the body. Um, But what it meant is, you know, I could present in front of 20,000 people one day and then, you know, 5,000 the next and like just getting your name out there and publishing just changes your opportunity to get into a market or to to, to sort of break into it. So. So I think for me, um, it's been quite an interesting time because, you know, we, we live in Adelaide and, you know, my family's here and, you know, I, I can't live in London, which is what I was doing every six weeks. Um, <laughs> and, and quite frankly, you know, the, the, I guess the silver lining for me is that the entire world went into this position like I did. So there was an acceptance that, you know, those in London would actually get on a call at 8 a.m. and that mm. those in Europe would, or those in US would get on a call at 7 p.m. Whereas before, you barely get like a shoe-in in, in, in the boardrooms, you know, with people. So, so you know, I mean, I, like I said, I was a bit fortunate in that I already had a profile anyway, but there was this massive expectation in the past that, you know, I had to, I mean, I think once I did, I think I did 14 days away and it was, 12 or 11 countries so so life was pretty and I'm actually not joking so it was getting pretty intense so for me COVID's been really interesting because I can absolutely jam-pack my day across the globe and I get so much more done um and, and it means that f- with family time as well oh well so ironically both of my children you know one went through year 12 this year one went year through 12 last year so it was perfect timing in a horrible outcome way but um yeah it's been it's been sort of generous to us in that respect so we've been able to sort of really push our footprint even more without it kind of killing my body quite frankly (laughs) yeah if we dive into the specifics of the business um but before that can if you ruminate can you think of some particular scenarios where you know you were on stages and presenting etc and some um big opportunities uh came your way as a result um i'm talking about someone in the audience approaching you um, uh, like I'm assuming there's a few scenarios like that, but did, yeah, can you point to are. one specific example? Um, there are a few. I'm quite fortunate in that way. But I think the one that resonates with me the most was actually in 2012. Um, so it wasn't as a part of a commercial. So even though I was at the university, I was leading to this, right? So it's still a very significant moment. But in 2012, I was on a stage in New York presenting to 3,000 people about how um, the Facebook engagement model was flawed and that that this this concept called likes really delivers you nothing. And it happened mm. to be the same year and the same month that Facebook were in their quiet period for their IPO. So mm. that changed my life without actually really knowing what I was doing. So I'd done a two-year study and sort of got up there like a scapegoat and went, hmm, this Facebook engagement thing. So that got into global press um, because, as you would know, the Facebook um, uh, IPO price was less than Stella. It just sort of bombed a little bit. They're fine now. Mm-hmm. But um, we it, it just went insane, if you like call it viral. But, it, um, you know, for 12 months I was being engaged and spoken to by journos but also opportunities with you know in terms of fostering my research so that's one then um the other moment in time was when I was in I was presenting at Cannes Film Festival the Cannes Lion Festival and um there was a journalist in the audience from Forbes and she wrote about 
the work that and I just started the business at the time and right. that got a huge amount of publicity as well and we were contacted by many many people so so you know I tell you people go out and try to be as as generous as you can with your time on stage and at events and in papers and things like that because it it really punches above its weight over a marketing budget any day and certainly um as i've taken notice um predominantly in the written realm but um you know a would you would you agree with you know a a bit more of a contrarian um view and in in some respects i mean you're you're getting up on stages and challenging um the assumptions of a lot of people in regards to the technology platforms we do but i have a very strong position on this um so contrarian is trendy for academics because academics like to, I guess, um, what's the word? <laughs> is it a hype up for themselves? By yeah, and, and the opposite, that they're hype up for themselves but also a push down of others. So that's a classic ah, academic uh, trait. Um, so I'm super fussy. So I, I don't actually like the word contrarian because I feel like that's a negative word. The truth is you're right. I'm challenging assumptions, but I do that in a way that makes people feel empowered, not embarrassed. So, yeah. so you know, again, note to those out there, if you are going to write something, you know, don't, don't try to be contrarian for the sake of fame. I call it defaming for fame. Um, that is not our thing. So, but by all means, if you see something that's that needs to be challenged, don't feel frightened to do so. Yeah, I'm glad I said the word actually because that was a fantastic response. Yeah, um, oh, trust me, I've been a part of this for a while, and yeah, yeah, there's a lot of others out there that do the whole defaming for fame, and I just I despise it. Yeah, and and I, my, me myself, I spent around three years in uh, that sort of academic environment, so I've witnessed uh, a large that. amount of it, right. large amount of it firsthand. So we'll we'll, we'll chat off off pod about yes. it. Um, category creation. I, I don't want to miss um, that point that you raised before in terms of the particular category that you occupy, which is which is niche, um, and I guess emerging. So I would love to know your perspective on it because I, as I understand it. Um, there was some, you know, there was some content that helped shape um, what you were building, and also um, it occupies a lot of your mindset in terms of uh, where you're progressing to. There's a few things, a few moments in my last two years that have changed my life. So, like I said, we started this business, and I was a research business. I was very fortunate, and I knew there was more to that, right? So, when you're a consultancy, essentially, that's where we were. You know, you're restricted by the hours you can put in. And, you know, because I'm older, I'm not really connected into the startup scene. So this whole kind of concept of SaaS and, mm. you know, click the ticket and all that sort of stuff wasn't, it was a bit foreign to me. And, you know, when I did my business degree, I was 20. So it was a while back. So there was none yeah. of this innovation stuff or the, you know. Um, so what happened was I was fortunate enough to win a grant to actually go to a fairly famous Ivy League uh, I didn't get a, a fourth degree, but I, I got a, uh, I did a, a fourth course. Um, I won't say which one. It's in the US um, and it was Ivy League. It was expensive. I won a grant and its its whole agenda was about growth. And it okay. changed my life because I learned so much about, oh, my God, what, have, what am I missing here? Um, so I came home and started to think about what we wanted to do and I came across this book called Play Bigger. Mm -hmm. um, 
I can't remember the name of the authors, we'll get you that off air, but this also changed my life, as did the Netflix um, book by Reed Hastings. Uh, no, uh, no, not the Reed Hastings one, the Reed, oh, I can't remember his name now, Mark Randolph, I think, um, the one that said um, this will never work or that will never work. But the, the Play Bigger book was this concept of becoming a category king. And just off the top of my head, um, there are sort of three parts to that. And, you know, being a category king is when you truly play big in, and they, they give all these examples of Apple and blah, blah, blah. And, and I kind of read this book and recognised that, wow, we already own category design, right? So um, we, or we, we are, because of my academic heritage, we are fostering category creation by thought leadership we are the ones that are getting published it had only my last book which is called the attention economy had just launched in london and you know so we were the ones that had the voice here i'm like we own category design Mm. but my my business is not set up that way and oh my god i need purposeful product that fills this gap so i went on this whole journey of learning around how the hell can i backfill these other two things that i'm missing to be a, a player a big player and that's what we've done over the last 18 months and you know since then we've built our first um SaaS platform which mm-hmm. as i said it's it's mvp got into 23 or 4 countries and now we're actually selling apis into systems that will stay there um, and our second piece is on trading so we're building predictive models off the back of the data we had sitting in a drawer and um, nice. now sort of uh, affecting both media planning and media trading um, and then there's a third piece to that which you know I won't reveal but it's um it's kind of an ecosystem that we're trying to sort of have touch points in so life changed for me yeah. Yeah. So, Karen, um, I'm, I'm really interested in the realities of getting amplified intelligence uh, to the point where we're, we're at now. Um, and maybe I can specifically reference, you know, your, your transition from academia into developing um, amplified intelligence. Let's start there. Okay. Um, so anyone who's been in the academic system and has left it, this will resonate. I became increasingly frustrated with the speed to which a university can roll. So mm-hmm. we were winning quite significant grant monies from big companies like, you know, Unilever and Coke and all these different people. And um, what was becoming clear to me is that the way that I could measure audience engagement needed some sort of technology touchpoint, clearly, because, you know, a lot of a lot of academic research is asking people what they think and then believing that that's what they did, you know. (laughs) So I became increasingly interested in this concept of um, gaze tracking, which was new to me or computer vision was even newer to me um, because, you know, I needed a solution that was like an ethnographic type study and I felt like the best way for me to do it was to intercept someone's camera on their mobile phone and so I thought, well, I probably need technology for that. And the university didn't support that. So... They were like, oh, no, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to bring any devs in. You know, you just have to do, you know, whatever it is that you have to do in a normal way. And I went, no, actually, I don't. So, you know, the benefit of being older is I had access to my own cash. So I invested, I put I put some money in myself. I hired one helper, a research helper and one dev, um, you know, panicked, I might add, because I didn't have a job and I left a sort of secure tenured position. 
And I went, no, I can do this. So we started to sort of build out some pretty clunky technology um, and soon got a few consultancy projects off the back of that. And then, you know, over that, that, that's the transition, which is what you're asking me. That's the transition from from academic to, yeah. to you know, entrepreneur. How about um, how did you – I'm particularly interested in talking about, I guess, the realities in terms of, you know, some of the struggles that, that might have originated. But um, even from a business development perspective in the early days, how did, how did you um, uh, manage that or, or approach that? Did you tap um, an existing network on the shoulder or, or did you have a lot of sort of cold – um, approaches to make? Well, see, this is the benefit of being a professor in a space that's kind of coming mm. alive. You already have a network. So, you know, I'm. we've not done a day of marketing in our life and we've not paid, I should say, I, I take that back, we've not paid for a day of marketing in our lives. So for me, you know, my LinkedIn was already 7,000 people even then and you know so I was already in a position where I could leverage the existing networks that I had so in that sense um, it was just a matter of me sort of doing something that I think could 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 render amazing results and then publishing on those results and then repeating Mm -hmm. that and repeating that and repeating that so everything we did we won't use the word you know, um, contrarian, (laughs) but everything I did challenged the norm, right? So when you do that in the digital space and you're talking about Facebook, Google or Twitter, everyone wants a piece of the action in the press. So we were constantly, we still are every day in the world somewhere we're in the press because we've said something that bothers someone else and um, (laughs) yeah, in a nice warm way. Um, So that's kind of how I grew the business and, you know, the challenges you're asking about the challenges, gosh, I mean, I reckon the biggest challenge is getting the people right. So, you know, Mm. stupidly, I brought an academic with me. And what I've learned is that I'm actually not an academic. I'm an entrepreneur. And, you know, when you're an academic and you have an academic mindset, you know, that doesn't go well with agility and, and exploration and fast moving. So, you know, I think the, the biggest challenges I had in the early days is I had these critical hires that were clearly wrong and clearly wrong right. culturally. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. So I, I couldn't tell you how many hours of sleep or how many, how many years of sleep I've lost on the, the wrong culture. So we're super fussy now about, you know, the people that we hire. And, and I probably won't hire another academic, quite frankly, because unless they're extremely unique and only sort of touch the academic system for a short amount of time but yeah uh yeah interesting uh maybe you've you've talked about um from that biz dev perspective and you know sort of a honeypot of sorts you know people were flocking towards you and and that's um that's awesome to hear about the sort of lack of marketing spend how about from a talent acquisition perspective as you're talking about now have you noticed um have you seen noticeable shifts in terms of being approached by people wanting to come and work with you or for you the two things we did the answer is yes but the two things we did um that extremely stressful um one more than the other, was I knew that I needed to invest in an amazing space because, you know, we are in Adelaide and uh, some of our hires come from the Australian Institute of Machine Learning. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the now Amazon's here and Google Cloud's here and there's a there's a there's an easy option for other devs to go. So I knew pretty early on, and actually funnily enough, he'll laugh, I give my credit to my husband on this. So he encouraged me to 
invest in this amazing space. So it's a hundred year old building that's, that's been decked out. Like it's super beautiful and, um, you know, edgy, funky, and, and you'd be surprised as soon as you get photos of that on the internet where, you know, people are super keen to come. And that's sort of this, the culture and the vibe. So I was stressed because it was way over my bootstrapping budget. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't do a five-year lease. I might die. And now we can't, we have to get out because we're way too big. So I'm going through <laughs> the same thing again. I'm going, how oh, I still have to do the same thing again. So, so invest in a space where people will want to work is the big thing. The second thing mm. is really define your culture um, and but I also have heavily invested in a in a recruitment partner I won't even say a recruiter because this this company I'll tell you it's career link they're an international business but they have offices here um, they um, they're a big part of our business and they headhunt for me and oh, they wow. they know our business backwards and I think the 20 people that I'm looking at through the privacy pod right now, probably 15 of them were were brought in by by them and, and they will continue to be our partner. So we're about to expand uh, feet in the US and UK and yep. they have offices there too. So um, invest in, in talent uh, recruitment. And again, as a bootstrapper, you know, that that's a killer because, you know, they take a cut of their salaries. Yeah. But it's it pays it forward, I tell you. That's really interesting. Um, and talent is a consistent um, conversation throughout both Attractive Ventures, like obviously for a number of fast growth um, uh, bootstrapped companies, um, just envisioning who they might need to bring on to sort of you know elevate to that next level. So it's a consistent uh, conversation point. Um, I would love to ask you from a personal perspective, um, as you've developed Amplified Intelligence, some, you know, I guess a personal win or something of high significance, whether in the early days or in recent times, just if um, if you could reflect on sort of, you know, some really key moments for the for the driver of the business. So that's easy for me because I'm not Great. a money person. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not a money person. So, you know, our revenue, we've been revenue positive quite profitable from day one that's not a win for me what's a win for me is now I'm seeing in the press amplified intelligence is changing the face of the industry amplified I mean I can send you those links like amplified intelligence in significant press in the US you know this little company is literally making transparent transactions into you know in into media planning systems like it, it's for me it's about being able to leave some sort of legacy on a very broken ecosystem, for me, mm. that's the win. And we get that more and more and more. And, and every day I see it in the press, I go, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm humbled by it. So for me, that's the win. And for the benefits of uh, the audience uh, listening, so who, what does a what does a user or a customer um, of Amplified Intelligence uh, look like? Are we pro- predominantly talking about a number of um, agencies, globals? They are. So... But it's broader than that. So we have brands that are our business, our, our customers. Respectfully, we don't have a lot of smaller brands because what we do is kind of fairly large-scale measurement practices. So it's not, you know, you can't sort of engage us for 10 grand. Um, but um, we, we deal with a lot of, of brands, but we deal with, a, and all of these brands have their agencies internationally. Um, but then on top of that, a surprise for us is that we actually have a lot of 
the uh, publishers as customers as well. So what's happening in our marketplace, because we're making, I guess, um, we're making waves, is yeah. that there are publishers coming to us and saying, oh, my gosh, this is amazing for our industry. You're pushing, pushing quality up again and people will pay for quality. So can we be a part of that? And on the flip side, there are others going, oh, my God, what's she going to say about us? We better be involved. <laughs> <laughs> so the publisher side was a bit of a surprise. Um, but, yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful. And, you know, when you hold a position like we do, you know, we, we demand independence of any of these publishers, which is quite unique. So, yeah, it's working quite well. That's fascinating. You, you know, shortly I'll sort of ask, you know, what's next for Amplified Intelligence with, with what you can share, of course. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before that you, you uh, did a business degree uh, back when. Where, where, did you, where did you personally think you may have ended up if we're talking sort of post high school? I'm just genuinely curious <laughs> to know where, where you that, thought that you might have been That was a long time heading. ago, just saying. Yeah. Um, so my first degree was business and it was, you know, economics, law, I don't know, whatever else they sell you in those major <laughs> subjects. Um, and I just thought I'd be, and I did. I, I So before I did my, um, I did a master's while I was working, but my PhD, before I did that, I was, I did the, I was News Corp. I, I worked in News Corp for many years. So I got a passion for media. You mm. know, I was head of multiple teams at Tourism Commission. I was um, a business analyst and, a, and a, a, a premium brand manager for Diageo, you know. So I did all of those things in my 20s where mm. I just thought I'd have, you know, some sort of marketing slash, I don't know, analyst kind of role. Mm. <laughs> and then um, the boys were born and they're only a year the gap. So, and at the time I think I had a hundred staff under me and it was just too hard for me to manage. So I thought while I had my maternity leave, I'd do this PhD and it was a massive pivot moment for me. Mm. Oh, it's fascinating. I couldn't, couldn't resist asking. It's, you know, always curious about, you know, the various, um, you know, U-turns a career takes. So um, just wanted to sort of highlight that. Um so I've approached you, obviously, you know, we know each other through Tractor Ventures and we, mm -hmm. we built a relationship through there. And, you know, we, we, we are certainly enjoying <laughs> observing the, the journey that you're on. Um, but I, I guess how does, how is it for yourselves when, when an external group, you know, such as ourselves enters the fray, you, you've got, um, you mentioned a recruitment partner. So that's another sort of external influence. But, yeah, I, I would love to know from your perspective, say something in the tractor context, how that sort of, um, you know, really helps you build your business. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, and, you know, I'm sure the team there will be horrified for me to say, but I wasn't really sure you could at the beginning because um, mm. our business is complicated. Yeah, and I, I wasn't, you know, I've never been a part of a startup community ever. Yeah. And I was really unsure. And I know that was what I was, you know, kind of putting, I was being encouraged to be a part of, but I, I didn't really believe it or expect it. But I'm I'm suitably surprised with, like, yeah. I, I'm really, I'm loving it because the, you know, we're, so I've never built, I've never scaled a tech team. So, you know, advice on how to build scrums and how to sort of build systems and, and, you know, just bringing specialists in for me has been extremely valuable. Things like, you know, we're building this massive ESOP ready for 500 staff, you know, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And my lawyer could tell me anything and I, you know, so getting advice on things like that. So, so quite yeah. frankly, um, 
you know, to younger people who are involved, you know, definitely connect yourself into a network because, you know, that kind of advice is 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 super valuable. I mean, you know, I might have a few degrees, but I've I've never learned how to build an ESOP, you know. So <laughs> so, you know, there's always something to learn. So I'm I'm really loving the community. And I, I've, you know, I've connected with some of the other founders and, yeah. you know, trying to see if there's any synergies. And the synergy part is really exciting for us. So we've had a couple of opportunities where you know, when we connect on some stuff that you've done, it's made a massive difference to our business as well in terms of efficiency. So, you know, all credit to you, team. It's been, mm. I've really loved it. Oh, it's really cool. And it's, uh, you know, we don't do a hard sell. We're more, you know, we, we um, just always enjoy the, um, you know, getting that feedback back and just sort of understanding a little bit about how it moves the needle for yourselves. Um, what I'd love to hone in on now i'm i'm also genuinely curious about whether you how to word this so you've transitioned out of academia do do you have a lot of inbound um interest or requests from people who sit within academia um potentially asking you about um exploring their entrepreneurial um pursuits or or wants um whether they tap you on the shoulder and ask you for mentorship type advice not a one so okay. yeah, so I, yeah, so I, I well look, you know, I I have a history in academia. I think that the whole tertiary system is completely lost, quite frankly. <laughs> and you know, the the reality of the gap between, I guess, research and actual application is so vast. And I've mm. learned so much in the last five years that, you know, the most I get is people asking me if they can come work for me, but not not at all in transitioning. Um, so a lot of people in the system are taught that if you leave the system, it's scary. So they try to commercialise within the system, which means that before you even sort of start, you're, you know, the uni own 40%, you know, and things like that, you know, it, it's, it's actually quite, it's like that in Australia, not so much like that overseas. So, you know, and... <laughs> That's why you see a lot of these spin-offs from MIT or Harvard or Stanford or wherever, but um, or Oxford, but um, not here, unfortunately. So I actually mm. think there's a. I'd be happy to go on a panel. There's a, a massive divide between the brains that sit within the universities and 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 them feeling encouraged to fly the coop and to go yeah. and do something new and innovative and make a difference. So, yeah, it, not a one. I vouch for that too. That's my experience as well. And and I've had a few um, close contacts of mine um, uh, leave academia recently and I can also vouch for the fact that they were absolutely terrified to do so. <laughs> well, they, they encourage that, right? Because, you know, while you're there, you, you, you get their sort of whatever the error rating points are or whatever they are up because you keep publishing. Um, so it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit naughty. The system's a bit, mm. bit, bit broken. So, Karen, um, you know, as I've referenced before, and as everyone would know, the the podcast is called Hard Mode. But what, what's your, what? How does that relate to you? How's that? Um, I guess translating how you sort of categorize your day to day with um, with amplified intelligence, and what are some, I guess, real struggles as well as really excitable aspects of um, building this incredible business. Yeah, it's interesting you ask me that way because, you know, when you talk about hard mode, you know, you naturally think and default to negatives, but, you know, stress can be positive, right? So I I look at it in a couple of ways. I mean, there's constant pressure for me to get 
the people right and to get the culture right so that we constantly remain agile and grow fast and no bottlenecks. I mean, that is a constant worry. So I think as we grow, it'll just get harder. (laughs) But um, it's really important for me to set that foundation right now. Um, Some other nervousness, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't want to run out of money like they all say. So we're at a point now, which we'll talk about in a minute, but, um, you know, where I can't do this by myself anymore. I've recognised where my strengths are and I've recognised if we want to get to this position, which is a future state, I need help and that incorporates, you know, extra income from, you know, VCs and, you know, the, the other people coming in as executive and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, so hard mode is that for me. But in equally, you know, I'm a fighter. So I, I, love, a, I love a good fight. And mm. so I kind of thrive on the adrenaline that is stress but achievement, you know. Yeah. So we try and really focus on, oh, my God, what have we done? I mean, we're all exhausted. I mean, we've only done it recently. So, you know, in the last 12 months, I couldn't even tell you. It's it's off the charts what we said we would do and what we've achieved. It's off the charts. And so we try and focus on that because it's been hard, but it's, wow, it, the achievement is crazy. I mean, you know, the hard thing for me, you know, is to know where is there because I keep saying, we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there. And I, <laughs> I need to kind of define what there means. Um, yeah. But yeah, so 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 that that's kind of it for me. That that's um yeah, that's really fascinating. I, I really enjoyed that actually, where you um sort of pinpointed um I guess illustrating what there is um, because I just had this conversation not yesterday um, in regards to attractor context. So uh, yeah, very fascinating. All right, let's um let's round this out. I would love to ask what's next, very simply, and um and what are you most excited about upcoming. So without telling you too much, um, mm-hmm. we are about to close on a fairly significant pre-seed, which we'll fortunately get in the press, um, and that's game-changing for me. So um, being able to literally go back to my beautiful recruitment team and go, right, now let's actually plan for the right people now because in three months' time we're going to be building this, this and this, um, I mean, that is game-changing. So for me, the pre-seed um, is game-changing and it just, it just we've got a roadmap and we've got a, we, we know it within an inch of our life. So that's really important for founders that you, you know exactly what your endpoint is, what is your ecosystem, where do you fit, yeah. what are you building. Well, all it's doing is it's fast-tracking our growth. So that's what I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to watch the original 20 just flourish in the in the the amazing things we achieve i'm excited to see you know what a little adelaide business can do um on the on the global stage um so that's kind of my immediate future and then you know we'll, we'll see what happens i mean a year for us is like five years 10 years it's just weird so i, mm. I couldn't even project beyond 12 months actually because <laughs> yeah yeah we've, we've got big things planned for this year I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for you. I think it's um, phenomenal and, um, you know, it's a very um, upwards trajectory, which is uh, really cool to observe. Um, look, Karen, Karen, I want to thank you again for your time. Um, such a such a pleasure to hear a bit more of your backstory, um, hear a bit more about where you're heading 
um, but also, you know, to to get to know you as well as part of our, our attractive relationship. So thank you once again. Thank you. That was so much fun. Really appreciate it. All the best. We'll chat soon. That was Hard Mode with Professor Karen Nelson-Field of Amplified Intelligence. You can find them online at amplifiedintelligence.com.au and via Twitter at amplified underscore intel. You can also follow Karen on Twitter at knelsonfield. See you on the next episode.